0: Hey, everyone, and welcome to Resetting the Table, expanding imagination around race, place, and faith for our collective liberation. I'm Trixie Ling. I'm Celine Chuang. And I'm Maria Mulder.
1: We host this podcast from unceded Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh Territory, otherwise known as Vancouver, Canada. Acknowledging the land is one way we want to commit to decolonization and to begin each episode in a good way, expressing
0: solidarity with the Indigenous struggle for rights, reparations, and sovereignty. Today we're talking about unlearning white Jesus. What are our own experiences of white Jesus? And what baggage and connotations does white Jesus carry? And how can we unlearning white Jesus and expanding our imagination around depicting God further the journey of our faith and justice? These are some of the questions we will be wrestling with in this conversation, so join us and let's get into it. A final note,
2: we keep it real in our conversations, and as such, there will be some swearing in this podcast, including this episode. We'll give a heads up for individual episodes when this applies, for parents and listeners with kids in the room. With that, onwards. (laughs) Why, Jesus! (laughs) Everywhere you look. Um, I think that's, <laughs> that's how I feel now, but I didn't always feel that. I didn't always see it that way. Um, yeah, so I think today we're talking about white Jesus and our relationships with growing up or not with depictions of God or Jesus that were of a white man and how, what does that mean? <laughs> How can we challenge it, and how can we unlearn it, and how can that help us in a journey towards liberation and justice, and furthering our imagination around faith and the world? Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know about you two, but for me it was kind of a childhood, like growing up in the Christian, in a conservative Christian church with kind of evangelical tendencies. I don't, know. they were stronger than tendencies, but an evangelical conservative Christian church. White Jesus was kind of assumed, and white. God as a white man as well, like kind of assuming that that's who he was, if he was a person, was kind of part of like day-to-day life and almost like, yeah, assumed day-to-day life. Everyone kind of, it was unchallenged, like everyone kind of thought of God as as that way. Mm -hmm. And certainly like in this church, in terms of who would be the people like, who seemed closest to God, like the people were speaking from the pulpit the people who had the power to make decisions Mm -hmm. were also all white men so (laughs) so it's maybe not surprising but I think part of it is also uh what I remember at least is part of it being depictions in like even like kids bibles or any kind of artwork that would be like part of church life in some way and this is kind of like I feel like a lot of people of color like who grew up in faith environments that I don't think, I think this is kind of the norm for a lot of people that I've talked to. And for a lot of us, it's like there's some kind of moment or a gradual moment of awakening and reckoning with this.
0: Being like, wait, no, <laughs> he's not this white. Isn't, yeah,
2: <laughs> this isn't, this <laughs> isn't, right? Right? <laughs> and also, like, you know, I think it has to do with a sense of, like, some kind of an awakening of racial identity, like realizing that you yourself are not white. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're someone, mm-hmm. like, in our example, who's East Asian and has grown up close to a lot of white people and like close to whiteness. And for me, that was like the church as well that I grew up in. 99% probably. (laughs) Yeah, so I would be curious to hear from you two, like was it, was white Jesus something that you grew up with as like something pervasive and kind of assumed as well, or was it something, and when did you kind of like realize that?
0: Mm.
2: I think for me, white Jesus was definitely assumed and
1: normal. And I can just remember, so my mom is a painter. She's a really, really talented artist. And we would have like our VBS vacation Bible school summer camps in the summertime. And she would paint these huge posters of images based on like the thematic storytellings of the week. And um, usually on the Thursday is the day when Jesus gets crucified. So then Friday, you get to talk about the resurrection and yada, 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 everyone gets saved, blah, blah, blah. And I remember very, very distinctly when I was maybe seven, her painting of Jesus crucified was very clearly a white man who was fair skinned and had light brown hair and a beard. And yeah, so from a very young age, that was super internalized for me. But also, I think there was an added layer of internalization because my dad is white. So I mean, out of the three of us, Hmm. I'm the only one with a white parent. And I think... The fact that my the parent that is white is my father shaped my idea of God the Father mm-hmm. as being a white man, like
0: my dad is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which
1: is super complicated. Yeah. Can <laughs> I yeah. see that?
0: Hmm. That's so interesting as you talk about your father. I mean, there's so many layers of it, but like just on that note, um, I don't have a, a personal relationship with my dad, and he also passed away growing up. And... Um, so I had a really complicated, really hard relationship. And I think even just a lack of like male role model figure in my life and a fatherly figure in my life. And so for me, it's like I, I, I think I just then had to cling on to 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 any kind of like father figure. And so I didn't grow up in a Christian family. but I also went to Christian school. So that's kind of how I came into faith. And I was very good at school. And so if I think back of, you know, from elementary high school all the way to university, in terms of Bible classes, all the way to theology classes, all the way to church. It's all taught to me by white men and women. Mm -hmm. And that was just because it was taught to me and from their perspective and their from their voices. In my mind, it always like, like God was like a white father and white Jesus totally makes sense because that's kind of what I heard and you know whether it's true images textbook bibles books articles movies that we watch it was just always in front of me and obviously i was also in really white spaces so those kind of images words was something i just accepted and again because i was looking for a father figure it, it just something I, I i accepted but i always felt there was something like i could not quite connect both to now obviously the whiteness but also to like the lack of a father figure mm-hmm that's something I think I continue to struggle with but I think as I learn as an adult now how do I unlearn white Jesus and that Jesus is not white it also is liberating for me to think about who is Jesus and you know what does he look like and how does he show up in my life and particularly in um, you know my friends and particularly people of color in communities how they see Jesus that was so different from a lot of my white friends Mm. and teachers particular who taught me about white Jesus. Even though they never say the word white, but that was always assumed. And I think I just accepted it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think that assumption of normalcy, like one, it's very pervasive. It's everywhere. And I think it can be super dangerous. Like Mm -hmm. I remember the first time that I came across an Asian depiction of Jesus. I was looking for Asian icon inspiration for a linocut that I was working on. I really wanted to do an Asian Madonna and Child for lots of reasons. But yeah, that was kind of the image that I was looking for. And I found this series of images. And like my gut reaction to this Asian depiction of Jesus was that somehow it was sacrilegious and wrong. Celine's making a face, as she should, (laughs) because that's ridiculous. Yeah, Yeah, and it's like taken a lot of work to unlearn that. Mm -hmm. Like why... A white depiction of Jesus is holy, Mm, but a
0: colored mm -hmm.
2: depiction of Jesus is somehow less than. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it sounds like, Tracy, your experience too, I feel in what you're saying is that like, it's not just about like white Jesus, you know, at the center of white Christianity, Mm -hmm. but like also like the sense of like acceptance and need to belong, like Mm -hmm. was very much tied to, you know, You're like looking for a father figure, and you're also like trying to belong into this faith Mm -hmm. and belong to a community of people, and you're surrounded by white people. So, like, all those things are so tied together. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think it is really, like, Maria, you were saying, it is really harmful when white Jesus is the unquestioned default because the fact that so many people, including people of color, would just like think of a white man when someone thinks of like, what does Jesus look like? And no one really talks about how we got to that point, right? Mm -hmm. It's just kind of like, that's just.
0: It's what happens? Always, that's the yeah. way it is.
2: <laughs> but you know, like white Jesus is not inherently neutral and whiteness is never neutral, right? It's mm-hmm. it's about dominance and exclusion. And that's how whiteness functions, which is why like, this is a bit of a tangent. But <laughs> if you go back, for example, to like immigration history, um, sp- like I'm thinking of the States more, but like at one point, Irish people, for example, were not considered white, right? So mm-hmm. It's a moving target that is about keeping certain people in and certain people out mm-hmm. um, giving power to some mm-hmm. and yeah. excluding it from others and so i think if, if white jesus if jesus looks like those who do have who are those people who are at the center of power right as white men are in our society um generally then there's a problem right because if we look at jesus in in the stories of the bible and the gospels like it's really the opposite like jesus is siding with the marginalized and the helpless and the disempowered. Brandy Miller talks about this in her podcast. We have to mention her every every episode. <laughs> yes, <laughs> Pay homage to our, <laughs> our right. adopted ancestor, if you will. But how he asks people, he meets them and says, what can I do for you? Um, he meets them where they are. Um, he's in well, what would become the Middle East as a brown-skinned man, you know, living under imperial occupation, right, under the Roman Empire. He was a refugee at one point. He was a refugee. He didn't have a home. Yep. He was put to death under an imperial death penalty that was meant to control and kind of control and to curtail resistance by Mm -hmm. a particular ethnic minority, essentially. Mm -hmm. And that's why James Cone talks about the cross being like a lynching tree. We're making a parallel with, like, Black America and the struggle for liberation there. And so really like if we're to characterize Jesus, it's and we, how we would characterize Jesus today, images or an art, like we would want to look at the margins, right? We want to see Jesus depicted as the so-called, like least of these, the people who have the least power.
0: Mm-hmm. And it takes a lot of work, I think, to reimagine, right? Because our at least our mind, if we're in this setting where we're again, surrounded by white spaces, white images of Jesus, and that perpetuate this like whiteness as, as the norm, to think about, you know, I've been thinking about what does it mean? What does it mean to say that we're made in the images of God? Like, how do we see ourselves? Mm-hmm. And it is really hard, obviously now even more, to be like as a as an Asian woman to be like, how do I relate to a white man? Like, how do I see myself in a white man? And that was what was taught to me, you know, Jesus as a white man. I think the power for me to reimagine, I almost have to again see a different image and talk to people who um, are able to. Speak on that note. So one of the image that came up for me was, um, I remember watching this movie. I mean, it was like totally a phase. But that book, The Shack, which I was I just think thinking every, about the shack. Yeah, the book, The Shack, that everybody had to read. So obviously, I got on the train, I read it, and then there's a movie. And I just remember that there was that scene where Jesus is like a black woman, and I'm like, oh. no, Wait, no, no, God, God, God is a black woman. But, oh yeah, God was a black woman. The Holy Spirit. Oh yes, I forgot about that. Thanks, thanks the for Asian that. One. Yes. <laughs> But that was just like the powerful image, right, to not you and particularly God as a black woman, you're just like, oh, it's almost took my breath away. And I had to like rework kind of like what did I think? But at the same time, it just felt there's this like sh- moment of shockness. But then there's like this moment of like almost like relatability, like this comfort, like and and all of a sudden it's like I feel like I could relate more and, and I want to see more like that mm-hmm. kind of image that I can relate to that kind of person I can. Um, have a relation a closer relationship to so that that is really powerful to like we have to really reimagine and to continue to train our to unlearn to dismantle but then to like reconstruct and relearn and reimagine like it's, it's you can't just dismantle something and then have a void right so mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. yeah that makes me think of um what is the movie evan almighty do you guys remember this film from way back anyways it's a film that I will not comment on the quality of but the god figure in the film is played by Morgan Freeman oh, yes. and i remember oh, yes. as a child that film was like vilified in the christian community that i grew wow. up in mm. and so i think we can't even say that like this idea of white jesus or white god is neutral because there are actually lots of People communities that to protect push that yeah. <laughs> to protect it yeah
2: hmm. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting, right? Because people will say this is just the norm. It's it's just how we think of it, or like, oh, everyone kind of depicts God in their own people group or whatever. But then you're like, then why are people militantly kind of defending the Mm -hmm. idea that like God can only be white?
1: (laughs) It's become a dogma.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, it comes down to control and power, Mm -hmm. right? It comes down to what you said earlier as a white man who has the most power and the hierarchy of that, and to kind of giving up on that, it's it's really hard. Um, And so like we need to, yeah, kind of think about how does white Jesus like connects with like colonization of indigenous people and and the power around that.
2: Yeah, exactly. Right. So the fact that it's also not neutral because it came through Mm -hmm. white Jesus has come to us through a lineage of violence. Right. Mm -hmm. And a, a history of genocide and dispossession, indigenous people, their culture and their land and their lives. And that is part of the the way white Jesus was used, right? And kind of, you know, in our own context in Canada, there's, now there's more awareness, I think, around like the residential schools and like Mm -hmm. the Sixties Scoop and just various Mm -hmm. government sanctioned and government implemented, but also church implemented Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. ways of perpetuating colonial violence against indigenous people. And white Jesus was very much at like the center of those kind of doctrines, right? Yeah. And reading the stories or kind of like hearing from people who went through that, so much of it is like, I mean, it's heartbreaking and it's also like, it makes sense with what white Jesus is meant to do, right? Which Mm -hmm. is like, again, exclude and kind of remove, what's the word?
0: I mean, colonize, but like take away (laughs) cultural identity and kind of... I think there's like a um, de-impose this... Yeah, a de-possession of of the land and the dignity and the well-being of people, which really leads to a lot of dependency over time and dehumanization, Mm -hmm. and that systemic structure then of oppression comes in um, as a result of colonization. Yeah, and then moral judgment is added on top of that, because if
1: you want to be saved, you have to be like Jesus, and if Jesus is a white man, you have to be white, you know? And so it's layer upon layer upon layer
2: of colonial bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you see that, I mean, this is getting a little, this is very kind of much tied to our local kind of our neighborhoods in our city here, mm-hmm. but you see that, um, and not just in the side, but in other places, other places that many people would consider like Problem places, mm-hmm. oh, you know. I know yeah, it's yeah. terrible to say. You know the places where you see a lot of missions work happening, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. So what fascinates me about the downtown east side is that you see this like entire spectrum of missions and nonprofit work, mm-hmm. and nonprofit work that isn't necessarily religious may still have similar dynamics. Where you have like amazing and very progressive like harm reduction work being done by some, and a lot of peer-led work. Mm -hmm. on kind of one side of the spectrum and then on the other side let's go to the right side (laughs) you know you see these super uh christian or and like by christian i mean by in name kind of like conservative organizations that are doing the same thing as like in a way as what residential schools did or as like colonization did which is to say that in order to be saved in order to be good um in order to have a seat at the table or have To access services, like, you have to fulfill our criteria and you have to listen to this prayer. You have to fit into this box. And I find that really disturbing, honestly. Mm -hmm. It's Um, like
0: same shit, different bag.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Over and over again.
0: Yeah. I mean, what you just said just reminds me because I think when I think about white Jesus and missionaries, um, I think of them white savior. Mm -hmm. And that really kind of flow into that because, and I have been both as a kid on, like, the typical Mexican um, Mexico mission trip where you go and then you do, you know, you play with the kids and then you show this movie, Jesus White Jesus movie. And it always made me feel really uncomfortable. But mm-hmm. now as an adult, I can see why because it's, and even as an adult, this like I see churches, like particularly kind of carry on this white savior mentality is because majority of the leader, people who are in power and control um, are white. And you're often going into marginalized community, which are a lot of them are indigenous, black, people of color. And you are doing work for them. You know, when you feel good about yourself, you're fixing it. You're, you're, you're like, view yourself as the savior, which is very problematic. But that is often like accepted and even encouraged when, especially on these short-term mission trips um, and to feel good about yourself afterward, right? This is what, like, what would Jesus do? This is what he would do. And you're like, <laughs> no. No. <laughs> no.
1: It makes me think of, if we're if we're really gonna ask the question of what would Jesus do, mm. like if we go back to the Bible and look at what he did do, every time a Pharisee or Get a Sadducee your money to the poor. Yeah, like every time that someone tried to trip him up with Jewish law, mm. like what did he do? He gave a, a really subversive answer that was not expected and didn't fit in the status quo of what people understood to be good and pure in, in terms of Jewish law, right? Mm. And so in the same way, if white people are going to go and try to fix people's problems in in a white savior mentality the first thing they have to do is actually realize that they they are most likely part of the cause of the problem and that in stepping into this white savior role they're actually perpetuating
2: these mm-hmm. injustices instead of in any way fixing it
0: mm-hmm.
2: yeah and in the stories you know in the in the biblical stories too like jesus mm-hmm. asks for in, in those ways where he calls people to account, he's mm-hmm. asking for personal commitment and personal sacrifice. Mm-hmm. He asks for people to give give something up or commit to giving something that means something to them and their whole lives are altered, right? Mm-hmm. So like Zacchaeus gives reparations, for example, right? He mm-hmm. pays back more than he owed to people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, I don't know, yeah, like the young, what was it? Man, I haven't read the Bible in a while. <laughs> <laughs> the young rich dude who, who asks? Uh, how do I get into heaven? How do I get into heaven, or how do I join the kingdom? Right. Sell everything that you have. Sell everything you have. Yeah. Give the money to the poor and follow me. Like,
1: and he couldn't, and he couldn't do it. Yeah, he couldn't yeah. do it. And at that point, Jesus didn't say, "Oh wait, let me change those terms. I'll alter those terms for you." He didn't do that. He was just like, "No, this is what you need yeah. to do."
2: Yeah, it's <laughs> interesting because he talks so much about wealth and economic mm-hmm. disparity, and not at all about what we use now in terms of evangelical. Like all the language we use around personal relationship and salvation and Mm -hmm,
0: mm -hmm.
2: all the things you're supposed to check off the list. Like Jesus Mm -hmm. doesn't talk about that.
0: (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's not all about the knowledge, right? I think there's so much emphasis on like doctrine, doctrine, rules. Like that's what the Pharisees are really good. They can recite anything and following the rules and structures and you know, lots of education, but I think it's about live experience. Mm-hmm. And at least that's something I'm, as I'm trying to reclaim my own theology is to focus less on the knowledge, the knowing, but just the, it's the being who we are and, and our live experience, how that is in some way, that's even more valued and elevated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like the intention of the action is so
1: much more important
2: than the action mm-hmm. itself. Mm-hmm. I think part of like the idea that theology or like knowing God is head-based it's all knowledge Mm -hmm. it's rational it's like that's part of that has been part of like colonization and the bringing of Christianity to other places and now how we think of theology or studying Christianity right so Mm -hmm. unlearning that and becoming more embodied in ourselves and our own experiences is a way to also to unlearn white Jesus and unlearn a colonial way of knowing God.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think one of the things I've been thinking a lot about um, that I'm trying to unlearn um, and it's like it's a kind of big toss up is, is what I've always heard growing up um, that was taught to me, the Great Commission in quotation. Um, that's what as Christ- as good Christians we're supposed to do um, to you know make disciples of, of everyone we meet. And I mean, that's connected with missionaries and going to different places and telling and sharing the good news but i just been really yeah help and my friends been helping me to kind of dismantle that in terms of like really breaking that down what does that mean and how does that tie into like also colonial power and colonization and taking of land and culture and traditions and in in the line with like white jesus and so that has been something i've been trying to think through which is really hard because it's so embedded in like mm-hmm. my sunday school you know all the way to like theological classes um what we're taught that we should be doing, even though the Great Commission is not even, I think, used in the like in those terms in the in the Bible, is it? I don't think it's actually called the Great Commission. No,
2: I think that it's, was it's given been later. titled oh, the
0: Great
1: Commission. It's called <laughs> like like the title that people have that translators yeah. have
0: given it. Oh, okay, is the Great so Commission. yeah, that's not even actually rooted biblically in it, but yet we kind of have taken hold of that and using that as our mental to like basically convert to everyone and I say no as when we see white Jesus like when we go into all different lands and kind of take that and convert it and make ourselves feel better Mm -hmm. and it's really hard because
1: the the core of the quote-unquote great commission Mm -hmm. is not supposed to be harmful Mm -hmm. you know it's not supposed to be um based on this power dynamic. It's not supposed to separate people from their cultures. It's not Mm -hmm. supposed to be all of these things that it now is. And so I think that's definitely one thing that I struggle with as a Catholic. In the Catholic Church, there are these two major streams that kind of hold each other in tension. The first is like to be apostolic. We're all called to be apostolic. And then the second is that we're all also called to be contemplative. So a lot of religious orders they're strictly apostolic and their work is to do missions somehow and that language makes me really uncomfortable and I'm yeah. still kind of trying to figure out and sort through yeah like how do we do this thing that Jesus told us to re- directly to do without also causing harm because I think culturally we've been doing it for so long in a way that causes harm that we can't even see another option mm-hmm. on or another way mm-hmm
0: Especially if our intent is just like, we have to save people and save people's souls. like Instead of like, how do we do that? Yeah, that's based on relationship and not based on power and control. How do we work towards
1: reconciling the world? Like Mm -hmm. how do we have a more holistic approach?
2: Mm -hmm. Mm
1: -hmm. Big questions. Mm
2: -hmm. (laughs) I feel like I've been hearing from, or I've heard from a lot of people's stories in my life and myself too, I feel like this. Kind of a theme that runs through that that has been running through these conversations is the work of Jesus or work that Christ-like work or a work that Jesus would do now mm-hmm. often doesn't have Jesus in the picture mm-hmm. in a way. And so, you know, the work that Jesus does in the Bible um, where he restores relationships, where he heals people, not just to their bodies, but to their communities, um, to, you know, for those who are socially ostracized, he restores them. Mm-hmm. He criticizes the powerful, um, he speaks across, you know, cultural divides and biases and,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and so all those things, when I see that work happening, which is in the spirit of Jesus, then I'm like, okay, I'm on board with this work mm-hmm. more so, I would say, than missions work that yes. is colonial or harmful or white savior centered or short term. Mm-hmm or about making, you know, us in the global north feel better about ourselves, um, you know, because I think Jesus is there more than in those so-called missions work, um, Mm -hmm. because that's what Jesus was actually doing when he was here and in the stories. And so I think asking those questions is hard, but it also means that we can, Christians maybe can look outward because there's often so much fear in Christian culture Mm -hmm. where it's like, any straying beyond this particular line and you're no longer Christian or you're no longer part of whatever this community, this denomination, blah, blah, blah. And really that that still, I think it always has and it still kind of pisses me off because I'm like, we, we think God can be confined to like our own ideas mm-hmm. and our own ways of thinking. And we're, we're scared that like, you know, if we do something that's too much outside of this line that we've defined that like somehow God won't be present mm-hmm. um, or Jesus won't be present. But God is much bigger mm-hmm. than well. Thankfully, God is bigger than being a white man, <laughs> or being a man, <laughs> or having any gender, or all the genders. Or like, God is bigger than all our biases and our what um, all the ways that God has been made in the image of the powerful. And so. Using, expanding our imagination by learning from work that is happening that is centered around justice and liberation Mm -hmm. um, by the people who are affected is where Mm -hmm. Jesus is. It doesn't matter if there's no use of the word Jesus or talk of Jesus, like Jesus Mm -hmm. is there. And I think if we get more behind that as churches, as Christian communities, people of faith who maybe are, have tenuous or complicated relationships with church, we would find Jesus in a lot of new ways. And I honestly have met Jesus the most in places like the downtown east side or like mm-hmm. on public transit like mm-hmm. places where you don't that are not considered necessarily holy or special places
0: mm-hmm.
2: that's where you meet people who
0: where you were encountered by God mm-hmm. um, yeah I, I think on that when you think about when you just said where you where you have met Jesus the most I think for me is always around the table eating eating together. For four years, I worked as a community connection coordinator and part of the world is really um, cooking and eating and sharing food with our neighbors. It's just, it just sounds so simple, but that's what we did weekly. And, and I feel like every Wednesday night is where I feel like I encounter Jesus. I see Jesus in all the people that come, in the volunteers and eating together, in the messiness and the sharing, and the laughing and the crying. And that's where I felt really like fed, like both physically, but also like emotionally and spiritually. And so that's something that, um, yeah, I need to continue to remind myself, like, where do we seek Jesus? And, and what it means um, when we are surrounded by people who love Jesus. And that's kind of, you know, the neighbors, the friends, the strangers, the newcomers I work with. And so, yeah, that's a, that's a, I feel like in that way, it frees my mind out of this white image of white Jesus. Mm-hmm.
1: So now that we've deconstructed, a bunch of stuff <laughs> and had a lot of opinions about a lot of stuff. Um, I'm wondering where what are other depictions of Jesus that we've come across? How are we pushing against this idea of white Jesus in more like practical ways? and how can we continue to work to decolonize our idea of what the gospel is? And yeah, how
0: do we how do we live with a more holistic understanding of who God is? Yeah, I think part of, I mean, first of all, it's definitely a journey, like it's totally a process of unlearning and relearning. And it's a continuous, it's not just like a linear journey. It's a, in some way it's very circular um, for me. Um, so one of the things I'm, I'm reading, or one of the many things I'm reading, I think to help me free my mind of this white Jesus is a lot around, I've been reading some Asian feminist theology, some black liberation theology, and uh, most currently right now is some Latino liberation theology. So just seeing Jesus, in, in so many different cultural contexts, which totally changes how I see Jesus also. And, and both in like words, you know, in the languages, in the history, in the culture, and, and how different people of color look at liberation theology from their from a place of struggle, from a place of oppression to this place of freedom, which I'm like, yes, yes, I can relate this. I can see how Jesus is right in the middle of it and walking alongside with you. And you're not just trying to chase after Jesus. And so those have been really helpful in freeing my mind and image by by really learning and growing and listening to um, to people who yeah who see Jesus in their everyday life in their culture and and continue trying to reclaim that from the white dominant power.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think for me, I unfortunately most of the theo- theological stuff that I've read is written by white men. <laughs> yep, yep. There's <for> sure. <laughs> so a lot of C.S. Lewis and Henry Nowen and you know. The list could go on and on because that's kind of the dominant voice mm-hmm. in the theological world. But for me, a lot of my interactions with Christ and with the saints and with just kind of the cloud of witnesses, if we want to use that mm-hmm. term, is most often in iconography. So that's where I go to kind of unpack this idea of Whiteness being the norm, so when I work on my own icons, if I'm working on a saint that we don't actually know what they looked like, I will err on the side that they were a person of color. So mm-hmm. I, I just mm-hmm. did a print of um, Saint Perpetua, who's like my fave saint okay. right now. She's a dear friend. A lot of the depictions of her, she was she was a first century Christian, early early church, and a lot of the depictions of her are as a as a black woman and so I decided to continue in that lineage and follow along in that tradition and make her black and then in the same way working on Asian iconography and even thinking of Jesus as a refugee like what would he look like as a refugee in Canada like where can we find his face Mm. um, in the community around us and it's still it's unfortunate that if you want to find something that's not white you have to in, in iconography you have to specify like if if I just type in Jesus icon, he's going to be white. <laughs> if I yeah. want something else, I've got to specify. And hopefully as more artists create more diverse work, that'll become less of a thing. And so generalized searches will actually result in diverse depictions. But we're not there yet. Hopefully one day. Mm-hmm.
2: And what h- might help us get there? <laughs> 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 well, Maria and I ha- are dreaming up a some kind of art collective that would be about kind of exactly this like I was gonna say unwhitening. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds super weird. Well decolonizing and recolorizing Ooh. Um, <laughs> Ooh, I like that. Christ and, and depictions of the divine mm-hmm. and so we would be pulling together our own art as well as other artists who would be interested mm-hmm. BIPOC artists who would want to contribute um, their own work and also one idea that I had was to have kind of an image library of other artists' work. So mm-hmm. collect, because there's a lot being made right now, especially, um, like Marie was mentioning. So that way people can access it easily and mm-hmm. there's no excuse, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, like
1: the more accessible,
2: <laughs> diverse depictions of the divine
1: and of saints and of Jesus are the less of an excuse there is for people to continue to perpetuate this idea of whiteness being divine. Mm-hmm. Um Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, so we can it's add about to that. Time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 And I think part of that, because image is so powerful, right? As both of you have mentioned, like, and that continue to yeah. access and be able to see and to reimagine that, um, is to have these conversations. And some of them will be really uncomfortable conversation particularly mm-hmm. if you're talking with your white friends, but it's so important. And I think that's part of freeing our mind is mm-hmm. to ask and ask these hard questions to deconstruct to be critical of what we have learned and and how do we unlearn and that is going to be a very tenuous process as i have gone through but yet at the same time it's so freeing when we can openly talk about what we have learned how can we do better and how can we um, do better in solidarity with people um, and particularly encourage artists like both of you which i'm so grateful i'm friends with both of you and and can yeah can can see art through your eyes and and for me i think that is that is such a gift to do that together mm-hmm. i think
1: it um it would be curious this is more just an open pondering and it's hard to answer because we are diasporic asians mm-hmm. in north america but when we were planning this episode i texted my mom and asked her what her image of god is and she said that it was a kind-faced old white man. With, she said Caucasian. <laughs> yeah, Caucasian, um, with hair on his face. And, yeah, just like a very classic white God depiction. Mm-hmm. And she like she joined the church. She converted into Pentecostal Christianity in Taiwan. And like, where did that image mm-hmm. come from for her? And so I would be curious about in less white communities, like in Christian communities in Taiwan and in Hong Kong and Southeast Asia and really anywhere else, What are people doing there? What are artists doing there to kind of reclaim Mm. their idea of who God is apart from this North American culture that we find ourselves in?
2: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm sure it's happening in so many places too, Mm -hmm. right? Because like the new generations of people who are growing up and asking like, why is this considered normal? Or why is this considered, Mm -hmm. um, why is this the dominant image of God? Because young people, I feel (laughs) young people ask questions about like history and why yeah, how did things come to us? And Mm -hmm. why did we learn them the way that they, that we learned them? Like, it's same, my parents seem similar to you, Maria, like, my mom grew up Catholic, and my dad Anglican. In both their upbringings, in their respective Christian traditions, like depictions of God, whether it was art, or like, yeah, in the church settings, or the people that, again, were the head of those denominations, or whatever, like, were white men. (laughs) And -hmm. so, like, tracing the history of not just colonization and colonialism on Turtle Island or North America, but also, like, starting to learn. And and then so you can reclaim, right, to learn the history of how did white Jesus get to, like, to Asia? And to, it was through missionaries <laughs> <laughs> and imperialism. <laughs> and so all the ways that white Jesus came to these places, it was also about where, how power came and control in some way, mm-hmm. um, whether it wasn't mm-hmm. direct colonization, maybe it was... Yeah. Cultural imperialism or whatever. Mm -hmm. Yes. But asking those questions because then asking that question opens up another question, which I heard the first time at a conference called Mystic Soul, which was a a a conference for specifically for BIPOC people surrounding um, faith and activism and healing. It was amazing. Mm -hmm. It was one of the only places I've been where most people there weren't white, and it was one of the most like healing, restorative spaces that I've experienced. But one of the questions they asked there was. I think it was something like what happened or who are your ancestors before they were wounded or something like that. Oh. Yeah, I didn't phrase it right. I have to think I'm trying to think of like the way it was phrased because it's just like. Even the way you phrase it. Yeah. <laughs> but just it, it hit me really hard. And I was like, oh, because even though, you know, my ancestors, for example, that I'm thinking of practicing like Chinese folk religion, for example, mm-hmm. and honoring the, honoring the ancestors in particular ways that was taken away from them by Christianity. Um, yeah. And that way of being in community with the village mm-hmm. was taken away mm-hmm. because they weren't allowed to do those things and be Christian at the same time. And so for me, that was the answer. That was who they were before. Like the wound came with Christianity, right? Mm. And so then if I'm gonna try to heal my um, my own kind of faith journey and like reclaim my, my version of the Christian tradition, which isn't just my version, but a more just and liberated version, I hope, then, you know, I can look to, for me at least, I can look to those ancestors for inspiration Mm -hmm. and for, and with gratitude too, but I can ask like, what can I do to honor you? And some of those things for me are integrating like traditional or contemplative practices with prayer, for example, so incense, which Mm -hmm. is also an Anglican thing, but it's (laughs) also a Chinese folk religion or Chinese folk kind of custom. And when my popo and my grandma and my mom's side passed away, I lit incense in front of a picture of her, and I kind of, I put food items in front of her, which is something mm-hmm. you would do if you go mm-hmm. to the temple to honor their, uh, honor your ancestor who has passed. And so I did those things as a way to kind of, yeah, remember her and respect her in a prayerful way and also kind of a, in a cultural way. And it brought me, it helped me grieve in a much more deeper embodied way than if I were to simply, like, say a prayer, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I'm I'm thankful that I'm starting to explore that part of my own history and ancestry and, and learn more about experiencing God or experiencing the divine or a spiritual life mm-hmm. hand in hand with, you know, being a Jesus follower. That is like so beautiful and so radical.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it yeah. it shouldn't be that radical, but it, No, I want other people to do this. Yeah. I, mean, I know
2: it's probably this controversial thing, right? But I wanna challenge the controversy because, you know, when people talk about when Christians talk about syncretism, for example, mm-hmm. right? It's always I think when I've read stuff, it's like a fear over mixing the idea of God, mm-hmm. which they think is a pure idea of God. Mm-hmm. It's always white Jesus. It's yeah. always this particular doctrine And with incredibly limited. something dangerous or yeah. something transgressive or different. And Jesus and God, as we've just talked about, depicting Jesus and God in ways that have been mixed with the dominant culture has been happening for the mm-hmm. entire history of Christianity, right? <laughs> Until, well, maybe not, not the very early church. And so actually when we're finding new ways or old, old ways of expressing who God and Jesus are that means something to our own cultures or our own backgrounds and ancest- ancestries. Mm-hmm. That's a way of, I think, getting closer to who God is, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh, yeah, that just challenges me because I think that's part of my own like identity, um, grow, growing in that information and rediscovering like who, who I am and, and who are my ancestor. And I think part of this whole journey has helped me connect to God and grow deeper in my faith by learning who I am and where, where are my tribe, who are my people, who are my community, um, who am I connected with, right? In relationship with Jesus and not in separation in this high article, dominant power that I've always been taught by. Um, but if we're rooted in our own culture, in our own identity, in our own family, I think that, yeah, what you just said is, is so true. I feel like we can have a deeper and richer sense of who Jesus is. Mm-hmm.
1: And I think people forget, so this makes me think of when, Celine, when you were talking about burning incense in remembrance of your popol, it makes me think of the very early church, like, you know, first couple hundred centuries mm-hmm. of the church. And how they like when saints died, saint being a believer, quote unquote, when they died, it was really, really common practice to go to their grave regularly and celebrate communion, like at their gravesite with them. Mm-hmm. And like, how is that any different from lighting incense and putting food out for mm-hmm. an ancestor, you know, like, so somehow one practice is demonized mm-hmm. and another practice is held up as tradition. Like, how much more holistic could our understanding of God be if we just
0: blended the it two? Integrated. Yeah. Yes, yes.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Resetting the Table is produced by Emma Reynards and the intro music is by Sonia and Paul Gibbs. If you like what this podcast is about, consider supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com slash resettingthetable patron contributions will help us honor the labor of our guests in showing up and sharing their stories. Funds we raise will go towards speaker honorariums, as well as making our podcast more sustainable long-term. We value amplifying voices of color, and we hope you do too.
2: For now, Thanks, and see you soon.